So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn me to 2 Kings chapter 6, we're finishing up uh, the stories in the Old Testament through the prophet Elisha with an S, not Elijah, with a J. Incredible stories that God has for us. And uh, by the way, we're hopeful that next week we'll be down back there in our normal place, but don't know if that's going to be a reality or not. So, but anyway, I've loved journeying through uh, these stories and looking at Elisha. And Elisha has two amazing titles. Uh, he is called a prophet of God. We're going to look at that in a minute. But he's also called this the man of God. When they talk about Elisha, they say this about him. He's a man of God. Would you love the fact that people would look at your life and say, that person, man of God, woman of God, child of God, the way he lived his life, it was evident that God was all over him. In the Old Testament, there are three clear offices that God uses, kind of official offices to do his work. You had the office of a prophet, and a prophet was one who would speak for God. He would be like God's mouthpiece. He would say things like, thus saith the Lord. It's people like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or Elisha. These are prophets of God who speak for the Lord. You also have priests as an office of a priest, men like Aaron. And what they would do is they would mediate between a holy God and sinful people. They kind of represented each to the other, specifically through sacrifices, they would make a sacrifice to a holy God saying, we know we're sinful, please forgive us of our sins. And then there would be a king like David and a king would rule God's people. So a, a prophet would speak uh, at, for God to his people. A, a priest would mediate uh, for God to the people and a king would rule. And the ultimate is Jesus because he is the ultimate prophet, priest and king. Jesus speaks as God because he is God in flesh. He doesn't have to say, thus saith the Lord. When Jesus speaks, he says, amen, because he is uh, God in flesh. He's also the, the ultimate priest. And the amazing thing about Jesus is the ultimate priest. He's both the one who, who offers the ultimate sacrifice and he is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the lamb of God who is slain for the sins of the people and he is the ultimate king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So what does this mean to us, that he is prophet, priest, and king? It means this, that Jesus should have the final word in our lives, that he is God. When he speaks, we listen. He has the, the word over our lives, that Jesus is the final sacrifice. The good news of the gospel is what God has done for us, not what we do for God. And what God has done for us is provide us his son. His life was sufficient that ours wasn't. His sacrifice for, uh, was paid for us in our place. And the good news is, is now because of that, we have peace with God. What an incredible uh, uh, high priest that he is. And also that Jesus is the king of kings, that he should have the ultimate rule over our lives. That's the reality of, of we look to Elisha. We need to see Jesus. Well, one thing I know about Florida is Florida is one of the best places for rainbows. Haven't you seen some absolutely amazing rainbows here in Florida? Sometimes you see double rainbows and probably this time of year with the amount of rain we have and the sun trying to break through. I mean, they're, they're oftentimes all over the place. Have you seen a rainbow that's been so powerful or so beautiful that you've had to get off the side of the road or you had to stop what you're doing? You want to get your phone out and you want to take a picture and maybe post it right away? Well, I got to tell you, I think that they're pretty incredible. But being colorblind, 
I'm just not able to see the brilliant colors that you say that are really there. And oftentimes they say, oh man, look at the colors of the rainbow. That's just absolutely incredible. I'm like, okay. I mean, they're beautiful and they're dazzling, but what I see is like a yellow highlighter. I see a yellow highlighter that went over and then sometimes maybe a second color that's also yellow, a little lighter or a little darker. But they say the reality is, and you learn by the, you know, the names of the rainbow, uh, that those colors are there, but I just can't see that reality. You know, they've come out with colorblind uh, glasses or glasses for those who have colorblindness and they could see actually what they couldn't see before. And if you go to YouTube, let me encourage you to do it. Just pull up some of the videos of people who have put on for the very first time uh, these colorblind glasses and they see red for red. They see green for green. And I'm, I'm telling you, they're kind of touching. There's this one older guy. It's probably the first one that pops up. Um, he's wearing a gator hat. You can't miss it. And he, he, he puts on these glasses. He's almost taken off. He's crying. He's weeping saying, man, I just never knew. I never knew the beauty and the brilliance of those colors. Well, this morning, we're going to look to Elisha and the story of his prayers that allow his servant to see and those are some of his enemies not to see, not the colors around them, but to see the spiritual reality that they couldn't see that was right there before them. And it's interesting for them to say, Elisha will say, listen, don't, don't fear of all the things you're looking at in life. And can we relate to this? Don't fear your circumstances. Don't fear your surroundings. Don't fear those things that, that seem to be just coming in at you. May God open up our eyes to the, see the reality of faith and the way that we should see things in Christ Jesus. We'll also find in this story that, that God has given this prophet the power to blind eyes of sight so that God's will could be done. Well, the story we're going to look at, if you were going to, if Netflix was going to show this story, and by the way, Netflix should show this story because it's an incredible story, you would find it in the comedy section of, of Netflix because this is Bible comedy its best. You might miss it, but this is an incredible story. Let me give you a little background. The king of Syria is trying to have plans to go in and, and, and do some raids against his enemy Israel. And so he has all these plans. He gets with his, his, uh, his guys, his inner circle, says, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And every time that they go and show up to do this raids, the Israelites are already there. And they're, they're already tipped off. And so the king of Syria is like, I got a problem. There's a rat. There's a rat in my inner circle. So he gathers the guys and he says, hey, which one of you is a rat? Which one of you is like tipping off our enemy? What's going on? Come on, raise your hand. And and one of them says, listen, it's not us. We're loyal, king. We're there. We're your men. It's this guy, Elisha, this prophet in Israel. You know what he does? He tells the king of Israel the things you're saying in your own bedroom. How would you like that? How would you like someone else knowing what you're saying in your own bedroom? Is that like the most terrifying thing you could ever hear? So he divides the plan, goes, okay, where is this guy? I'm going to send an army after one guy. I'm going to send an entire army out for one. And I'm going to date myself, but for those of you who remember Rambo, you know, like you got 300 guys looking for one, you don't have enough, go get more, right? I mean, uh, they're going to send horses and chariots uh, all to go look for one guy who was, by the way, tipping them off to their plan. So why did all of a sudden he think he's not going to be tipped off to this plan, right? So as they go, we're going to see that Elijah is going to pray to God saying, God, open the eyes of my servant because what he sees is a lot of trouble. Let him see another reality. And he's going to say, would you blind the eyes of these 
Uh, they're hunting me down. And at the end of the story, you have God's enemies being led into enemy territory. And the question is, what do you do with God's enemies? Do you slaughter them? And the humor of this is, let's throw these fellows a party. Let's have some wine. Let's have some drink. Let's have a party for these guys. It's, it's, I'm telling you, this is great comedic biblical humor. But in this, we're going to have to see three things. Opening the eyes of faith, blinding the eyes of sight, and refocusing the eyes of our enemies. This incredible story that God's given to us that will point us to Jesus in 2 Kings uh, chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 8 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But when, they, when the men of God, but the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to that place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Yikes. And he said, Go and see where he is, and I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. Those of you who remember the Joseph story, remember maybe Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, the man of God, Elisha, and the servant, and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open the eyes that, that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, please strike the people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man who, whom you seek. By the way, I am the man you seek, but I'm going to bring you somewhere. And he led them to Samaria. Interesting, the word blindness here is only used in Genesis 19 for the story of that Lot had some men of God in his house and some came to do some bad things to the men and they too were struck with this blindness. It's more like bedazzlement because Samaria was about 18 kilometers from where they were in Dothan. So they were clearly in some stupor, uh, some kind of a blindness of not being able to really understand and be led astray. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria, enemy territory. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, my father, by the way, the king of Israel was not great friends with Elisha, but now that he's done something good, he's being nice. My father 
Shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come on, uh, come again on raids into the land of Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, would you come with the power of your spirit? And would you open up each one of our eyes of faith? Open up the eyes of our heart to see. To see the beauty of who you are. To see the reality of your son. To see as your children that whatever is against us, that you with us is greater. God, I pray that if there's one here that has never seen you rightly, that today would be the day that you would open all the blind eyes so that we could see you clearly, ourselves rightly, and our desperate need of Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in Jesus' matchless name that I pray. Amen. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, you'll find an outline. The first thing we're going to see is opening the eyes of faith. Elijah prays that his servant would be able to see, but he as we did, he would pray that he would be able to see a reality that was already there. Oftentimes we think that if we have enough faith, if we can muster enough faith, that the reality around us might change. My circumstances will change if I just had enough faith. And oftentimes that's even taught in church. But this is not the prayer that is prayed. He's praying that, Elijah, may you see the reality. There's a reality that you are not seeing. God, would you open up his eyes so he could see that? And what was the reality? That those who were with us are more than those who were with with them. As Christians, as followers of Christ, those who have, by God's grace, come into a relationship with him. This is true of us in every and all situations. Our triune God is with us. Those who are with us, our God on our side, are greater than anything that can be against us. Even on our worst day. Even when our greatest fears are realized. I love this story. This servant goes out early in the morning and he looks up and he says, uh-oh. Now, now it's finally come to pass. My servant, Elisha, man, he's always been tipping off the king. All these things are going wrong for them. And they've finally come to pay the piper. They've finally come to make sure that they're setting things straight. And that fear is realized that the sins have caught up to them or or the reality has caught up to them. Let me ask this for you as well. What are the things you dread? What are the things that you dread to face? Maybe it's a, a health report. Maybe it's something in your marriage or with your children or your job or reality. What is that day that you dread that that might show up that will catch you off guard? What's the thing you think, if I look to the mountains and see that reality, if I look to my life in that reality, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What do you fear the most? It's the saying, focus on Jesus. That day, because of the gospel, we should not fear. Elisha's servant's fear was linked, interestingly, to a sight problem. His fear was linked to what he could not see. What he saw was fear. What he saw was hopelessness. And for Christians, if you are plagued with fear, if you're plagued with hopelessness, the problem is ultimately a sight problem. 
We're not seeing a reality that is there in Christ Jesus. And this is the reality that Jesus is greater. He's greater than the sum of all of our sins. You know that? He's greater than the sum of all of our sins. He's greater than all of our fears, all of our trials, all of our disappointments. Jesus is greater than anything you have to face. Don't fear. God is for us. That's a reality. I think this is what Paul was trying to remind us of in Ephesians chapter 1 when he says this. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of that to which we've been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might? He's basically saying this prayer that we may know that something will will open up, up in our lives, that we would know the greatness of the power of God in us that would drive away our fears. I'm the kind of guy who asks questions to my family, things like this. Okay, if you're on a deserted island, you only could take one album, which album would you take? And my kids will say, what's an album, right? (laughs) Okay, well, 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 one artist, you know? But if I was on a deserted island and I could only take one chapter of of Holy Scripture, only one chapter, I I really think I'd take Romans chapter 8, maybe 2 Corinthians 5, but Romans 8. Because Romans 8 begins with this most incredible declaration for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says this, for those in Christ Jesus, there's no more condemnation, that we truly are forgiven and free, that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was enough for us. We are declared not guilty in holy God's sight. We are forgiven and beloved. How amazing start is that? And it goes on to say in verse 28 that God causes all things, not some things. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And then Romans 8 will unpack what that really means. It says, those who, who love him and called according to his purpose, well, those are those, the ones that he predestined. And for all of his children, he predestined, he's justified. He, he sent his son so we would be declared not guilty. His work was enough. To all those he justified, he has glorified, past tense. The work he begins, he finishes. He's basically saying, listen, everything's going to work together for good. Why? Because we have the privilege of knowing God and our salvation is secure and God is in control of all things and nothing can separate us from him. Nothing can separate us from his love. God is for us. It goes on to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Oftentimes we hope that hope will arrive when our terrible situations come, that maybe the circumstances will be such that we can find some hope. Hope is not in circumstances. Hope is not something that will arrive down the road. Hope is not something that we well up inside of us. Hope is a living person named Jesus. Hope is a reality in Christ Jesus who lives for us and intercedes for us because he has defeated God's and our enemies. We can have a living hope, no condemnation in him. Hope is a person. So what are you focusing on? And your fears and your hopelessness. What are you looking to the mountain saying, oh my goodness, look how great that is. God says, focus on Jesus. Focus on my son. And then interestingly, the scriptures tell us about non-Christians. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says that the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers. So they can't see the reality of the glory of Jesus Christ and the beauty of who he is. They don't understand it. The God of this age has blinded them, but there's more. He's blinded them to the reality of the peril they are in without Christ Jesus. If you're blinded and don't see Jesus of who he really is, you're in peril. Just like those who were led into the enemy camp. 
You're in peril of a, a Christless eternity separated from God. And the light of the gospel shine brightly. I love that the fact that John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And uh, he, he had the audacity to heal this man born blind on the Sabbath. So all the religious leaders are up in arms. And they're trying to figure out whose sin it was that made this man blind. Was it his parents' sin or was it his sin? And Jesus is like, you guys are missing this completely. This is happening for the glory of God to be revealed. And the difference between Jesus and Elisha, Elisha has to pray to God, let eyes be open. Pray to God, let eyes be closed. Jesus has to speak. Be healed. Be healed and see. And that's the beauty of Jesus. May he open the eyes of our hearts. Second thing is the blinding the eyes of sight. Elisha prayed that those who were after him would have eyes that were blinded. In 1985, my best childhood friend, David O'Connor, and his wife, Francine, were smuggling Bibles into China. As they were smuggling Bibles into China, Dave got through, but Fran got stopped, and they confiscated her Bibles. They allowed her to go into China, interestingly, uh, but they took their Bibles from her, and that there was kind of a timing of where they had to meet and how they had to meet this person to hand them off, and everything just seemed to be in peril. And that night, as she was in, in the place that they were staying, this scripture passage was pressed upon her. It was a passage that she didn't remember that she ever memorized or even knew. But it was Proverbs 28.1. It says this, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. If you can see Francine, she's like 5'3". She's not a very big person. And yet she felt like God was saying, go back and get those Bibles. Be as bold as a lion. So the next day she walks, goes back to the immigration place that, that's taken her Bibles, walks into that place, into the room that they t- t- took her Bibles, picked up her bag and walked out and met her contact. I mean, it's amazing that God blinded eyes that see and he has the ability to still do that. I think that what this means for you and me, we're probably not going to be smuggling Bibles into China anytime soon, but God's called you to live your life walking by faith to trust him and see that he who is for us is greater than anything the world has to, has to offer against us. And no matter what the world may say against you, don't worry, God can blind their eyes to what God has called you to. His will will be done. And lastly, refocusing the eyes of our enemies. Paul will say in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love the beauty of this. He's saying for your enemies, love them. Refocus their eyes by loving them, by showing them dignity because they're made in God's image. I think the only way you could do that is if you realize that you and I, that we are sinners separated by God and only by God's grace and grace alone are we brought near. We have to see ourselves as both, listen, this is important. We have to see ourselves as both the recipient of God's amazing grace and an instrument of God's amazing grace. That God has called us to himself to make us his children, but he's done more to make us instruments of his, to tell his story. Several of you know that I went a few weeks ago up to uh, New York City to my sister's uh, cancer surgery, and the flight path I took was into Newark, New Jersey, and I wound up taking the New Jersey Transit into Penn Station, and having worked in New York City and having lived in New Jersey, I mean, just going back into Newark brought back a lot of memories. Uh, I didn't live in Newark. I was a little bit outside of that, but the smite, the smell, the sights, the sounds, isn't smell an incredibly powerful thing? And I'm telling you, if you ever smelled Penn Station in the summertime, it has a very unique smell. But as I was up there, I remembered that, you know, there was a in Newark, just such a need for the gospel, such a need for the love of Christ. 
It reminded me that there was a PCA church plant there that, that went into Newark and had the greatest church motto of all times. And here it was. We are going to love the hell out of Newark. I'm like, wow, I really like that. Can we say that? <laughs> Is anybody get in trouble for that one? But their whole, their whole mindset was, you know what? We're sinners that have been saved by the amazing grace of God. And the God is for us is greater than the God, anything in this world and anything we have to face. And the reality is, is we are called to be not just recipients of God's grace. We're called to be instrument of God's grace. And that reality is, is we're going to love sinners and refocus our eyes. The world should see Jesus through you and me. The way we love one another and the way we care for them. The world should stop and say, man, I want to see what you see. How is it with you? Are you focusing on your fears? Has hope been driven away because of what you see around you? Or are you focusing on Jesus, the one who is greater than all? May he give us the eyes to see so that we can walk by faith. We could be a people. I can't wait for the day that I could see all the colors. But even now, may today be the day that I can't see everything perfectly, but may we be a people who walk by faith, seeing the reality that Jesus is greater, living as recipients and instruments of God's grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, what an incredible story. It really is such great comedy in your word of the king of Syria who wants to plan raids against your people, but you'd have none of it. And that you'd use the man of God, the prophet Elisha, to hear what he was saying in his own bedroom and to go before him. God, you and you alone have the ability and the power to open up our eyes to see the reality of a triune God who is greater than anything that could be facing us. God, would you open our eyes to see Jesus more clearly? Would you open up our eyes that we could see him as greater than anything that faces us? Would you do that in a way that drives out our fear and drives out our hopelessness? And God, may we be a people who are continually reminded that we are incredible recipients of amazing grace. But you've called us also to be instruments of that amazing grace. May the world see you differently as we live our lives in love with you and loving them in your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.